Well, it's so great to be here and uh, just had a blast last night. Who was here last night with us? All right, so I don't even need to reintroduce myself. We're doing good. Um, well, it, it is such a joy to be here, and I, I really appreciated Dan. Dan uh, brought me a mug to have my tea in, a mug he got in called Don't Mess With Texas. And so uh, that's a little uh, motto. Um, you know, Texans kind of have a little bit of a uh, attitude sometimes. Not me, just them. And so, um, so I'll be walking around with this mug, not because I'm not trying to make a statement. I'm just trying to honor Dan. He did let me know that this was only here for the weekend, that I needed to give it back to him. Uh, so I can get plenty of those in Texas. Thank you, Dan, for the love. Um, well, I want to um, continue to share a little bit of our journey with you and, um, and hopefully to, uh, this morning uh, connect our hearts afresh with, with Jesus. You know, I, I um, didn't grow up in the church, and uh, it wasn't that I was against God. It's just I didn't know much about Him. And at 17 years old, someone shared with me, uh, in my day, a cassette tape uh, that uh, was a story of somebody who had come to know Jesus a friend of mine and I listened to it, and I went home that evening after listening to this story about how to know Jesus, and I, I believed, but in my mind, I, I could figure it out already. If I actually give my life to Jesus, my life actually is going to have to change. So that was a big deal. And I walked in the door, and my brother was home from university, and I knew that he had kind of become religious, but I didn't know what his deal was. And so I asked him about it. I said, hey, what do you think about this Jesus thing? And he said, um, he said, well, the question isn't what I think about Jesus. The question is, what do you think about Jesus? Great question. And I said, well, I, I think it's true. I think he came, he lived, he died. I think he rose again. I, I, I think that there's salvation in him only. And he said, well, well what are you waiting for? And I said, well, I'm actually going to have to change my life if, if I do this. And I kind of like partying and these other things. And I, I got to get this idea that it really means I'm going to have to walk a different way. And he said, well, why don't you let Jesus take care of the future? And why don't you respond to him now? Very wise. And I prayed with him, and, we sh and he shared just how to come to know Jesus. And when I prayed with him, the way I knew that I was saved for me is that after I prayed, such an incredible peace came into my life. And the way I would say it, for the first time in my life, I realized I was not alone. I was not alone. I had loads of friends. We partied for every weekend. We had a lot of activities and things going on. But after a weekend of partying, I would wake up and I would feel so deeply alone. Because you see, inside of us there is that deep place that is made for only God. Only God can ultimately satisfy the deepest need of my heart. And so when I prayed a simple prayer to give my life and to trust in Jesus, to turn from my sin, all of a sudden I wasn't alone anymore. Well, it, it was real. It was very real. But my brother took off back to university. I didn't know any other believers really. And, and so it was a little bit of a challenge. So I actually went to the university that I did because I knew there were a lot of Christians there. And I came to the university and, and started going to church and getting involved in Bible studies. And after a couple of years of kind of doing the church thing, but really knowing that I wasn't connecting with Jesus, I, I read a 
very famous passage in Scripture that Jesus said all of the law, all of his teachings are wrapped up in two basic thoughts. That we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And I said, God, I... I, I want to know you that way. Would you help me, God? I want to know you that way. I was dating a girl at the time that I thought I was going to marry. And so God, out of his grace, had her break up with me. God, what? I mean, there's all kinds of ways we can talk about this, but not this, Lord. It broke my heart, and all of a sudden, there was pain there, and I had a decision. Do I go to God, or do I just become bitter? We talked a little bit about that last night, and, and in, in my journey, I thought, I got to know Jesus, and it was the end of our university year, our second year, and I was going back home to my hometown, and I was going to be working in oil refineries. I live, I live in an, uh, an area of Texas where a lot of that happens, and I was going to be working in oil refinery every day for uh, eight to ten hours a day, and so I knew I would have time, and so as I'm driving home in my car from her hometown where, where we had visited, and she had said, it's done, it's over, it's about a four-hour drive, and so I'm going down the, uh, the, the motorway, as you would say, and um, I'm going down the motorway, and I'm thinking to myself, what has kept me from really knowing Jesus? What distractions are in my life? If I really want Jesus to have all my heart, what distractions are in my life? So I thought to myself, well, you know, I've always lived my life vicariously through movies, or TV, you know, kind of who are the people out there, and it just kind of has been a part of my life, so I thought, I'm just going to set that aside for three months. Three months, I'll just set aside movies and TV. I'm going to find out who God is and not just know about everybody else. And, and then the other thing, again, and this will be maybe a, a little gross to some of you guys, but um, I grew up in Texas, so I chewed tobacco from the time I was in seventh, seven years, well, not seventh grade, but 12 years old on. So about seven years, I had literally chewed tobacco, and so I was addicted to this stuff, and I had a little pouch of tobacco, and so I rolled the window down, I threw it out, and I said, all right, done with that. And then um, I had a bunch of music that wasn't glorifying Jesus for sure. And so again, back in the cassette tape days, so I threw cassette tapes out the window and uh, driving down the motorway. So, uh, so I just kind of cleared the decks to make room for Jesus. And so what I did was I took, I started in the book of Matthew and I said at this, I said, okay, Lord, I'll give you three months of my life to show you that I'm real. Now, first of all, that's a joke, a, a mere man telling God, I'm going to give you three months of my life. But God has a good sense of humor, and he understands our weakness. So he kind of took me up on it, and, and I thought, okay, i got to get to know who God is. Everybody else seems to know, or somebody seems to know, but who is God to me? So I started in the book of Matthew, and I agreed to do this. I was going to read a chapter a day, pray about what I saw in that chapter, and then whatever Jesus did or said to do, I was going to do it. Now, I'm just kind of one of those guys is when I decide to do something, I really decide to do it. So I thought, whatever Jesus said do and whatever he does, I'm going to do. Well, the way I, say, I, I experienced it was this. By chapter 6, I had given away just about everything I had. I had forgiven everybody I wasn't planning on forgiving. And all of a sudden, my life was changed. Six days of literally reading the words of Jesus and actually doing them was changing my life. 
My world was being turned upside down, or, or maybe a better term would be right side up. Well, three months went on, and I just went chapter by chapter through the Gospels, and I came to the end of the three months, and it was time to go back to university, and that morning, I get in the shower, and I find myself starting to begin to cry just uncontrollably, and that was not kind of my scene in those days, but uh, there was something going on, and, and I came to the breakfast table. My parents were there. They were not believers, and, and I'm just crying and they said what's wrong with you son are you okay and I said I just love you guys love y'all so much and so thankful for you and they said son have you taken this religious thing a little too far do we need to get you a psychologist you're losing it and I said no I'm, I'm great I just love you guys and somehow I talked them into letting me leave the house and, and head back to university and I'm driving uh, back, to, back to school, and um, it's just this sense, this just presence of God. And, I, and I'm asking, God, what are you doing? This is so weird. What are you doing to me? And it seemed to me after a couple hours into that drive that God spoke to me so clearly. He said, you've asked me to show you that I am real, and I have come. Even today, some almost 30 years later, I, I still can feel that. I gave God some space. I, best I knew, pursued him for who he was, not who I wanted him to be. And, and he had come. He had come and, and showed himself to be real. Well, well that kind of changed my world. That mean passion for Jesus, that phrase now became real. I, I walked with him and I talked with him and I wanted to know him more. And so that passion for Jesus was being solidified. But always what happens when you become passionate for Jesus, then he leads you into his purposes because he wants other people to be passionate for Jesus. And I was biking with a buddy um, and, and, and I found some other guys that God had done a deep work in over the summer. And we were out biking one day and, and uh, we said, what do we do with this stuff about Jesus? I mean, he's changing our lives. We had actually gathered a bunch of people and said, hey, let's talk about what Jesus is doing. And we had filled an apartment or a flat with, with students and people began to cry and weep and pour their hearts out. I mean, we were in the midst of a little revival. And so we were out biking saying, what do we do with all this? And he said, have you ever heard of missions? And I said, no, what, what's that? And he said, well, missions is when you go tell people about Jesus in other lands or nations that have never heard. And I said, it sounds cool. Do you know anybody knows anything about it? He said, uh, I'm not sure, but why don't we go over to this church? Uh, this is on a Saturday. Why don't we go over to this church on Sunday and ask around? So we go that Sunday morning, and they had a, it was a large church, and they had a separate college gathering or university gathering. And in the university gathering, they would break into classes, uh, Bible classes. And one of them, they said, today we have a special missionary in town from Thailand, and he is going to be talking on the topic of what is missions. And we said, great, let's go there. So we go over, the guy talks about all these great things God had done in his life in Thailand over the last 25 years. And... Um, at the end, I went up to him, and I, I mainly I just wanted to let him know that he was right, that I had read it in the Bible, and that he actually was, was telling the truth. Uh, he did Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the famous go and make disciples all the nations. I said, hey, dude, I just want you to know this is in the Bible, what you just said. I read it this summer, and it's true. 
And he laughed and he said, I don't know why I'm saying this, but he said, I have a friend that looks for lost tribes in the interior jungles of New Guinea because there's still some cannibal tribes out there and he's looking for them to share the gospel with. And he's always looking for some young people to help him out. What if you guys went and joined him this summer? And I'm sitting there, four of our friends, and we, we all say, yeah, let's do it. Now, it's September, and, and it's not summer. It's just the beginning of the fall. Uh, one would eventually drop out, but three of us made it through the, the journey and stayed true to the mission, and we found ourselves on our way to Papua New Guinea, which is above Australia. Some of you guys thought it was in Africa, and uh, it's above Australia, and over 700 different dialects and languages. And the way they find these lost tribes is they get in the, these bush planes, little Cessna planes, and they fly over the jungles and they look for smoke coming up through the mountains or smoke coming up through the trees. So it's like ra mountainous rainforest. And then they put an X on their map and then they either cut out a, they send teams in to cut out a, an airstrip as close as they could get to that area or there's a grass or there's a flat area and they figure out a landing spot and then people hike in to engage these tribes well um we had that experience we went to new guinea we packed up we had incredible experiences but i want to just want to tell you about one and one of these experiences was we were in the interior of New Guinea and we were working with a missionary who had planted over 60 churches around in the villages uh, in the surrounding areas. But there was one village that he had not yet um, uh, planted a church. It was called the Bena and they were still warring tribes. I mean, literally we would be in on his area, his compound basically, and you could see uh, uh, warring tribes walk by carrying their wounded bows and arrows. I mean, it was National Geographic Plus, man. So this one particular day, we, we go into the Bennett area, we preach the gospel and all this, and, um, and um, to say the least, it was, uh, it was one of those experiences where we were dealing with a lot of fear, me and my buddy, actually. And um, so the, the night before we went into the Bena, this tough area, I remember telling Fred the missionary, I said, uh, um, or, or excuse me, Fred was saying, hey, we need to pray for you guys tomorrow. My wife had a dream that it may, that may be dangerous, and we need to pray for you guys. And, and we're, I mean, I'm looking at Bill, my buddy, and, and he's a big guy, uh, six foot three, 220 pounds. Um, and so he's a big guy. And, uh, and Bill and I are saying, I said, hey, dude, you didn't need to tell me that. I mean, you know, last night we stayed up most of the night because there's a, a village next door and they were doing all these, the witch doctors were out doing things all night long and it sent, sensed the presence of evil and we were scared. And so we said, we're scared, man. And, uh, and this missionary guy had been there for 20 years. He said, oh, that's just that spirit of fear. It's no big deal. He said, uh, he said if a mangy dog walked into my house, I got five kids, and he said, if a mangy dog walked to my house, he said, what do you think I'd do? He said, I'd kick it, I'd shoot it, I'd do whatever it took, but I'd get that mangy dog out of my house because it's not going to touch my kids. He said, that, that's what you do with that spirit of fear. You just do whatever it takes. You just get it out of your life. And he said, good night, boys. We'll see ya. And we walk across the compound. And we were, we were like, whoa, dude, you know, this is way too heavy. And we're 20 years old, and so... I look at Bill and I said, yeah, I don't know about you, dude. And he said, absolutely, we're sleeping in the same bed, man. We are going <laughs> to take on the devil together. We rebuked everything, prayed everything. We didn't know anything all night long, it seemed like. And, um, 
Anyway, uh, we eventually just wore out. I'm not sure we wore it and did anything to the devil, but we, were, we eventually got tired. So next morning, we have this incredible experience, but then the next day, Bill gets sick, really sick. And Fred, the missionary, had promised a guy that we would come to his village. And um, Fred had, was having a malaria uh, attack at the time. Bill's sick, and I'm thinking, well, then I guess we're not going to go. Now, Fred had all these men, that, young guys that he was training, young New Guinea guys, and I said, well, Fred, obviously we're not going to go to this next village the next day. And he looked at me and said, I never break a promise. You're going. <laughs> and I said, well, okay, all right, we'll go. So he said, you're the only guy that can drive anyway. So we take the four-wheel drive as far as you can. Then we hike through the mountains. And we we're going to a village of a man that Fred had led to the Lord and then mentored. And the deal was the guy uh, was from a kind of a primitive tribe and he couldn't read. And so Fred would tell him Bible stories and do it orally. And then one day Fred realized, you know, Lord, this guy needs to be able to read the Bible for himself. And so he laid hands on the guy's eyes and he said, let him see, Lord, let him see. And this guy could read, but only the Bible. And he had told Fred, I went to my village. The whole village has come to know Jesus. You must come visit. And, but Fred had never been. So nobody had ever been to this village. So we, we do the, the drive. We do the hike. And we come up over the ridge. And all of a sudden, people come running from this village. And they're all screaming out, And here I am, this 20-year-old white dude, you know, just like, Oh my goodness, what, what is happening? And all these people are hugging us and celebrating and they're dancing and, and they, they threw a big feast for us and so we ate and we feasted and, and then they said, and they built this thatched hut, this big thatched area for the whole village to now worship and, and so they said, oh, now you will come and preach. Now the only problem was I had never preached a sermon before and, I, and there was only one scripture I had memorized, and it was one I had memorized the night before. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And so I thought, well, we'll just start there, and I'll just start talking. And in this particular village, he had to do three translations. There was me, God didn't give us a spirit of fear. There is pidgin, which is the trade language, New Guinea guy, and then the local dialect. So God didn't give us a spirit of fear. Uh, but power, but power, but power. By the time I finished this scripture, it seemed as if heaven came to earth. The power of the presence of God. People begin to weep. People begin to worship spontaneously. God came to earth. I mean, it, it drove us all to our knees. And for four and a half hours, just the presence of God, the love of God, the, the purity of God. People who had been led to the Lord by a guy that couldn't read but now could read because God not only had saved him but opened his eyes. A people that had no exposure to all the things that we get exposed to. Just all they had was Jesus and good and evil. They understood that evil was wrong and now Jesus was right. And it was pure. It was beautiful. And I remember in that setting thinking about all the different theological arguments and all the people about that in, in our day were talking about what expressions are right and how radical should you be for Jesus. And it was like all the questions just wiped away. Who cares? Jesus is who he says he is. He's everything. He's pure. He's lovely. He's wonderful. He's powerful. And more than even the heart of God for the nations of the earth, I came out 
of this experience more in love with Jesus. It's Jesus that makes all the great adventures worthwhile. It's Jesus at the end of the day that satisfies the soul. It's Jesus that ultimately is the reason we stay in this for the long haul. It's Jesus that makes everything in life okay. Jesus is everything. And so what I want to do is I just want to, what I'll say is just do a little pep rally for Jesus here. I'm just going to talk about Jesus and I want you just to soak it in. Because he is wonderful, and if you get him, it's not who I say he is, but if, if you decide who he is, if you let him bring, uh, as Paul would say in Ephesians, a spirit of wisdom and of revelation, if you, if you see him, if you just get a glimpse of him, you'll want more. You just can't help it, and so that's my prayer. So here's a few encouragements. You know, the Old Testament... Um, it covers about 4,000 years. There's over 30 writers over those years, and there are over 330, at the very least, Old Testament prophecies that speak about Jesus. So the, the first coming of Jesus. So Jesus was set up throughout the Old Testament. He was spoken of, and we experienced him. When people talk about, is Jesus real? My goodness, hundreds of years before, the exact details of his birth and, and of his life and of his death and of his resurrection were spoken of. In Isaiah uh, chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. That's a good word, by the way. The burdens and the cares of life. It'll rest on his shoulders. A son will be given to us, a child will be, will be given to us, and the, the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Anybody need a Wonderful Counselor today? <laughs> Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Jesus prophesied 700 years before he showed up that he would be our wonderful counselor that we all would need. He would be the mighty God, of the, the mighty of all mighty, the, the one that we would be able to trust with everything in our lives. He would become eternal father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. All of us are longing for a father to love us and to care for us in the person of Jesus. You have that father. Uh, he is called eternal father and he is the prince of peace. As we talked about last night. Life is challenging. It is difficult, but there is a peace that far exceeds anything that our minds can experience. And he's a person and his name is Jesus. And he comes to live in us by the Holy Spirit. And it says there'll be no lack of the increase of his government. There's no lack of the increase of the rule and reign of Jesus and, and of peace. Not only will Jesus expand his kingdom, but he says it'll be with his peace. And he goes on and talks about a prophecy of David, and it says at the end of this passage, the Lord of the host will perform it. God will do it. Jesus has promised it. He has come. And if you'll look to him, he not only will begin the work in you, but he will be faithful to complete it. One of my favorite passages in the scripture is that though we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Woo! Now listen. I'm just going to get happy about this, and you can just come with me or not, or you can just watch me either way. 
But in the Old Testament, Jesus is revealed in every book of the Bible. Uh, What is the most predominant truth throughout Scripture? Jesus is Lord. That's the most predominant truth. So I want to just run through a few. In Genesis, Jesus is the ram at Abraham's altar. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In the book of Leviticus, he, Jesus, is the high priest. In Numbers, he's the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. I like that. In Deuteronomy, he's the city of our refuge. In Joshua, he's the scarlet thread out Rahab's window. In Judges, he is our judge. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, Jesus is our reigning king. In Ezra, Jesus is our faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, Jesus is the rebuilder of everything that is broken. In Esther, Jesus is the Mordecai sitting faithful at the gate. In Job, Jesus is our Redeemer that ever lives. In Psalms, Jesus is my shepherd and I shall not want. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, Jesus is our wisdom. In the Song of Solomon, Jesus is our beautiful bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the suffering servant and sacrifice for us all. In Jeremiah and Lamentations, it is Jesus who is the weeping prophet over his people. In Ezekiel, he's the wonderful four-faced man. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the midst of a fiery furnace. In Hosea, he is my love that is forever faithful. In Joel, he baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is our savior. In Jonah, he is our, the great foreign missionary who takes the word of God into all the world. In Micah, he, Jesus, is the messenger with beautiful feet. In Nahum, he is our avenger. In Habakkuk, he is the watchman that is ever praying for revival. In Zephaniah, he is the Lord mighty to save. In Haggai, he is the restorer of our lost heritage. In Zechariah, he is our fountain of life. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. Jesus, that's just the Old Testament. In the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, I love that Matt started with that. It's the centerpiece, one of my favorite scriptures of all times. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son. What? How has God spoken to us? In Jesus. You want to know God. You have to look at Jesus. This is how he has spoken through the, through the prophets, through the years. Through, he has spoken through Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. He is the representation of the glory of God. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. Colossians 1, 13 through 20, in the message, I love this, describing the beauty and power of Jesus. It says this, God rescued us from dead in alleys and dark dungeons. He set us up in the kingdom of the Son he loves so much. The Son who got us out of the pit we were in. Got rid of the sins we were doomed to keep on repeating. Jesus holds, Christ holds it all together. We look at this Son and we see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this Son and we see God's original purpose in everything created. 
For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose through him. He was there before any of it came into existence, and he holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, us, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. (laughs) That is awesome. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. Yes, absolutely. This is... Jesus and him all things to in him all things exist consist and he holds all things together good news today you can be held together when everything's falling apart there's someone in the center named Jesus that can hold all things together life is challenging but he holds all things together why should we love him why should we pursue him why should we want to know everything about him because in him all things consist and he holds all things together he makes life make sense he gives life a destiny a purpose and an ultimate face-to-face ending jesus is the one that everybody on heaven and earth will see face to face no matter what He is the ultimate end of all of creation for now and eternity, Jesus. So let's go on in the New Testament. In Matthew, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. In Mark, he is the miracle worker. In Luke, Jesus is the Son of Man. In John, he is the door by which every one of us must enter. In Acts, he is the shining light that appears to Saul on the road to Damascus. In Romans, Jesus is our justifier. In 1 Corinthians, our resurrection. 2 Corinthians, Jesus is our sin bearer. In Galatians, Jesus redeems us from the law. In Ephesians, he is our unsearchable riches. In Philippians, he supplies our every need. In Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In 1 and 2 Thessalonians, he is our soon coming king. In 1 and 2 Timothy, he, Jesus, is the mediator between God and man. In Titus, Jesus is our blessed hope. In Philemon, he is our friend that sticks closer than a brother. In Hebrews, Jesus, he's the blood of the everlasting covenant. In James, it is Jesus that heals the sick. In 1st and 2nd Peter, he is the chief shepherd. In 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, it is Jesus who has the tenderness of love. In Jude, he is the Lord coming with 10,000 saints. And in Revelations, lift up your eyes, church, for our redemption draws near. He, Jesus, is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Wow. Reigning in everything, victorious in all things, the power of all things, his name is Jesus. Do you know him? Do you know him? You may, you may know about him, but the amazing thing is that Jesus wants us to know him personally in a very deep way, not just for salvation, not just for sanctification. He wants us to know him as our best friend. He wants us to know him better than we know our spouse or, or friends that we grew up with or our family. He wants us to know him so intimately that literally we can sense his breath in our hearts and at our backs, we can know the least little 
move of his heart and we would run after it gladly. He wants you to know him and he wants to make himself known. John 21, 25, there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were not written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not be able to contain the books that could be written about him. I know Jesus at, like this, but I'm looking forward to knowing more. So wherever you are, there's always more when it comes to Jesus. A few years ago, we had um, an international uh, incident with um, uh, a couple of our missionaries, a couple of our team were imprisoned in Afghanistan. Uh, this became a, a big international deal, and we would hold weekly press conferences as uh, people were very interested in it. It happened during 9-11 and so on and so forth. I'll talk a little bit about it later this afternoon. But in the midst of this, we would often get questions from uh, news agencies that they would try to stump us, you know. And so one of the questions was always, because our guys were in a Muslim world and because they've been sharing their faith and because we were Christians, do we believe that Christians are the only ones going to heaven? And so I remember one Associated Press reporter saying, so the way I understand it is you're saying Muslims are going to hell and you're going to heaven. Is that what you would say? And of course, I knew that they were writing this out and writing it down and quoting us. And I paused for a moment. I said, well, here's how I would say it. I said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. So I said, I guess it doesn't matter if you call yourself a Muslim, a Hindu, a Buddhist, or a Christian. I guess all that stuff really doesn't matter. I guess it's just whether you know Jesus or not. And I said, for me, I've just decided that Jesus is the guy I'm going to follow. And he said, he's the way, truth, and the life. And so then I just encourage people to follow him. Well, the guy didn't know what to do <laughs> because we landed on Jesus, right? Well, my question for us is, do you see Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life? And I know I'm talking mainly to believers here in the room, but I, I want you to know I get great life out of meditating on this thought. So I want to just run that through a little bit. Jesus is the way. He's the way to love. He's the way for friendship. He's the way of escape. He's the way to power. He's the way to purpose. He's the, the way to reconciliation. He's the way to forgiveness. He's the way to healing. Whatever the issues, Jesus is the way. He, he is uh, the way. There's not another way. People try another way. Hinduism doesn't work ultimately as the way because in Hinduism, there's multiple gods. Some would say even millions of gods but there's not a clear one God of forgiveness. So you grapple and you, you appease gods and you have gods that are supposed to take care of all these areas of your life or you create new gods. There is no ending. He, but he's not a God. Sometimes Hindus will say, yeah, I'll add Jesus to the God panel here. But he can't be added to the God panel because he stands unique and distinct. He's the only God of forgiveness. There is no forgiveness for a Hindu apart from Jesus. For Buddhism, you know, it's that nirvana, that higher consciousness. In one way, trying to be a little bit like God, when I go to, an, I transcend to another, another place in another space. But that never deals ultimately with the forgiveness issue. In Buddhism, you never find forgiveness, which is the longing of the heart of man to know that I'm free from the shame and guilt that I carry. The brokenness in me is changed. So Buddhism doesn't 
get there. Islam. Islam is, again, a classic works uh, orientation. I'm trying to please God. My hope is that my good outweighed my bad, that I did enough of what was good so that when life's done, I will be somehow accepted. Even then, I'm so unsure. And it's a, it's a law-based religion. It, it, it doesn't, doesn't get there. And then we have, you know, oh, I'm of no religion. And that would be humanism, which would mean I am God. But none of these ways get us to God. Christianity is the most unique religion in the world because it's God coming to us. We could not ever get to him. We can't come by appeasing. We can't get by obeying. We can't do right or wrong. It is Jesus, a son will be born to us. A son will be given to us. He broke into our world to rescue us because we could never rescue ourselves. And that's what makes Jesus the way for salvation, but it's also what makes him the way for every other answer in life. I love 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken man, but which is common to man, but he will plan a way of escape. Jesus is the way of escape for whatever bondage you're in. Because here's the deal, if I am loving and worshiping Jesus and trying to sin and do my addictive thing, two things can't occupy the same space. All addictions are caused ultimately by a lack of relationship. And of course, that's a healthy community, but ultimately a lack of relationship with Jesus is why I'm grasping for other things to numb the pain in my life. Jesus, he's the way. Jesus is not only the way, but he's the truth. John 1, 16 and 17, and of his fullness we have all received and grace uh, for grace, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Sooner or later, you've got to decide who decides life for you. When I was in university and I began to experience God in powerful ways, actually after this experience in New Guinea, I came back to university and it was hard. I had lived in the jungles for three months. I had seen the Spirit of God, the presence of God. The witch doctors were evil. God was powerful. It was clear. And I came back to an unclear Western world, and it kind of shook me. And people said they knew Jesus, but I could, I could just feel the bondages and the evil and the complexity and the hypocrisy. And I was just all, God, what do I do? And I, I remember I had a stack of tracks, and I drove down the road, and I just said, God, I don't know what's real anymore. And I threw all the tracks out the window and I said, God, you save them. <laughs> and I got home to where I was living and I got on my car disturbed and I'm pacing up and down the driveway and I'm saying, God, who's saved? I mean, these people say they're Christians, but I don't sense your spirit. I sense it in New Guinea, but then am I just like them? Am I saved? You know, just a college student, a university student sorting it through. And so I felt like God spoke to me very clearly. He said, um, who do you know that knows me? And there was a mentor I'd had named Chris, and, and I said, Chris knows you, Lord. And he said, well, what is it about Chris that makes you think that he knows me? I said, well, he loves you. He, he loves you with all his heart, and he, and he trusts you. And it seemed to me that God said, you think you can do that? Can, can you just try to love me every day and try to trust me a little more? And I was reminded you shall... Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
And it seemed to me, God said, if you'll just do that every day, don't worry about it. You're going to be all right. He said, what else do you like about Chris? I said, well, he really loves me. That's mainly why I like people, right? They, uh, he loves me. And um, he said, do you think you can try to love every pe- uh, people every day? And I said, well, yeah, Lord, I think I can. And God spoke to me so clearly. He said, whenever you don't know which way's up, remember you can love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You can love your neighbor yourself, and you don't have to worry about everything else. Just a landing place. It was at that same time I, I had what I call drawing a, a line in the cement. Sometimes we talk about drawing a line in the sand, but sand shifts. I, I'd rather draw a line in the, in the cement. And I drew a long line in the cement, and, and my roommate and I were talking, and he said, what if everything isn't real? What if we sold out for Jesus? We're going for it. What if we find out that it wasn't real? And I said, wow, I thought about that. And I thought... Well, if we sell out and go for it and actually live the life of Jesus, it'll still be a good life. Even at the end of it, it doesn't turn out the way we thought. It'd still be a great life to live like Jesus. And it seems like we can experience his love in this life. Even if we're wrong, I'm just going to decide today that I'm never looking back. I was 20 years old, and you know what? I haven't looked back. I just, because I decided who was going to direct my life and it wasn't going to be me. The wisest thing I ever did was realize that I'm not that wise. The wisest thing I've ever done is decided that I don't have that much to offer. The wisest thing I ever did was to decide that there is one person in the universe who ultimately can dictate, direct, and lead my life like nobody else can and that he is worth leaving everything else behind for. I decided, and I have decided, that Jesus is the truth. I don't understand everything about him, and sometimes things kind of confuse me. But whenever I get confused, I just go back, well, I can love you, and you love me, and I can love somebody else, so we'll let you sort it out, Lord. Because I'm sure it's my finite mind that can't see into the mysteries of your infinite heart. Jesus. He's the way. He's the truth. And here's actually the best one. He's the life. He's the life. You're made for him. You're not made for other things. You're made for him. There's a little proverb, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the very springs of life. You have a spring of life in you. And all of us grow up reaching out for everything else to meet our need. We want a relationship to meet it. Then we want food to meet it. Then we want alcohol. Then we want drugs. Then we want codependent relationships. Then we want uh, um, uh, accolades in, in academia or sport or whatever. We're always looking for something to make us feel okay about ourselves. And let me just tell you, you can keep trying, but you're never going to feel okay about yourself apart from Jesus because he is the life that we have longed for and actually God has created us so that everything else ultimately is futile apart from him. Jesus said this, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Now, I know it's a journey, but I believe that, that I will never thirst and never hunger if Jesus is my all-consuming passion. Psalm 36, 7 through 9, how precious is your loving kindness, O God, and the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They drink their fill of the abundance of your house, and you give them to drink of the river of your delights, for with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. 
Woo! <laughs> Jesus is truly life if I choose to drink only from him. You see, the, the, the weird thing is he's not for mixed water. <laughs> we kind of, what we say in America, we want our cake and eat it too. I want to live as worldly as I want and do whatever I want, and I'll take some Jesus too. And you know what? Jesus is so gracious that he'll let you live like that, and his grace is still sufficient for your salvation. But you miss Jesus. You miss everything. If you go for the nasty water of this world to meet the needs of your heart, instead of Jesus, you miss everything. He's invited you to a river of delight. In his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Jesus, he's enough. When I got out of university, I worked in business in Houston, Texas, and um, it was a God moment where I learned how to share the gospel with people in the business community and learned so many things. But the main thing I learned was abiding in Jesus. And so I took John 15 out where it says to abide in Jesus. And, I, and every day I would read John 15. I'd meditate on it as well as my other time of devotions with God. And then I would go, take the little phrase from John 15, 5, that apart from him I can do nothing. And so everywhere I'd go, every moment of the day, if I was talking to somebody, if I was going to a business appointment or need wisdom or counsel, I'd say, apart from you, I can do nothing. Apart from you, you can do nothing. It was awesome. God opened up doors. People got saved. Lives got healed. I was able to do excellence in the workplace. It was awesome because it was Jesus doing it, not me. Well, one day I woke up and I uh, woke up late and I ran out the door and I, I didn't have my devotion time and I, I just didn't feel that connect with Jesus and, and the whole day just clunky, it just seemed out of sorts and, and I realized something had happened. I had gotten codependent on Jesus and I was just a wreck without him and I thought, I think this is good. And that evening, we, there was a Wednesday evening, and there was a gathering at a church that I was a part of, and they invited people over up to the front just to get on their knees as worship was going to be with Jesus. And I remember going up there and just started weeping, just crying uncontrollably. I thought, what's going on? And in my heart, I, I began to say this phrase, I miss you. I miss you. I miss you. Not I missed it. His grace it's so much greater than a devotional life. But I missed him. It was my loss. Why do I want to be with Jesus every day in word, worship, and prayer? Why do I want my first space of the day to be in his presence? Not because I have to, not because I should, not because I'm trying to get something. Because I need him. And when I'm rightly connected with him, then I can live in him. And when I live in him, I'm alive. And when I'm not, I'm confused. Jesus is our portion in our cup. He supports our lot, the psalmist says. So I want to end with one last story. And my hope in the story is that you get the aha of God, that, that, that you'll pray, God, would you make yourself real to me? Laura and I started off running a, a missions training school, maybe similar to some of the training you guys do here. And, and a part of that training school is we would do outreach all summer long, three months. And um, a couple of summers, really three summers, we spent a lot of time in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. 
and uh, working among drug addicts and prostitutes in the red light district. And um, so one, we'd been there a few days ministering, and it, we were supposed to have a day off. And Laura and I are walking out of the place where we were staying, and a guy runs up to us, and he said, hey, dude, uh, uh, hey, can y'all give me some money for a phone call? He said, uh, uh, I'm from America just like you, and I, I got over here uh, I, after I got out of college, and I got strung out on heroin, and I'm trying to get back. And my dad said he'll send me a plane ticket. I just, I have to call him. Can I get some money? Now, I've worked with drug addicts for years and, and things like that. And, and I thought, you know, I don't give money to folks, especially uh, no matter what the story is, if they're in an addiction, I, I want to help them personally. But in this particular instance, this unique instance, I really felt like I should give him the, the, the 2 $3 that I had that would be specifically what I knew would be for a phone call to the States at that time. And so I said, here it is, man. And I said, I'm trusting you to use this to call the states. And he said, oh, yeah, thanks, dude. Thanks, dude. And I said, but hey, before you leave, I want to pray for you. And he's kind of anxious to get out there. I put my hand on his shoulder. And I said, Lord, get him. Jesus, he needs you. Get him, Jesus. Get him. That was the prayer. And he goes, he goes whoa, dude, what was that, man? I said, that was Jesus, and he's after you. He said, hey, whatever, whatever. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks, I'll see you. And he takes off running down the street. Well, I was really burdened for him that night. Laura and I prayed for him throughout the day that night. And um, the next day, I was just hoping to see him again. And so I'm walking into the red light district, and down the street comes Keith. I mean, you know, Amsterdam, the area is about a million people, and here he is. And it's Keith. And I'm like, Keith, it's you. He said, oh, dude, oh. He said, man, I was thinking about yesterday. That was such a trip, man. He said, the mind power you have. I mean, there's something that, that happened there through your hand. It, 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 what kind of a power, mind power thing is that? And I said, none of that. There's no mind power. I said, that's Jesus. And I said, hey, come on, let's sit down and talk a little bit. So I still remember rainy day in Amsterdam, sitting there in the red light district and his t ratted hair and, you know, emaciated body from drugs. And, and he's just telling me a little bit of his story and everything else. So he tells me his story and... And we're talking back and forth. And I said, listen, I want you to know that Jesus is setting this up, man. Jesus is after your heart because he loves you. And I said, I tell you what, I'm going to pray for you. No hands. No hands because it's not my power and it's not my hands. I'm just going to ask Jesus to show you that he's real. And so I said, Lord Jesus, come show you that he's real right now. Reveal your heart to Keith. Open his eyes. Jesus, come. And I opened my eyes and... Keith looks like he's in a daze. He says, whoa, what a trip. <laughs> and I said, that's Jesus. <laughs> and uh, we agreed to meet that evening uh, in Central Station, right around Central Station, um, because we were going to dialogue about how to get him into a drug rehab there called Victory Outreach. And so I said, let's meet tonight. So he meets me. And we're out there in front of Central Station, and we're talking about Jesus. And and of course, by this time, he's heard the gospel several times in different versions, ways. And I, and I said, Keith, are you ready? I said, before we even go over to the drug rehab, I said, dude, you need Jesus. This rehab isn't the, the secret key. It's Jesus, man. You need Jesus. And he said, I think I'm ready. I, I, I know I need Jesus. I said, okay, then what I want you to do is I'm going to tell you, you know, kind of how you call out to Jesus, but then you're going to do it on your own. I'm not leading you in a prayer or nothing, man. It's you and Jesus. And I said, I'll get down on my knees right here with you in the middle of Central Station. And I want you to just to cry out to God. So both of us, we get out on our knees and we're in Central Station. And Keith's 
crying out to Jesus, just pouring out his heart, real ugly prayer, you know, uh, but very sincere heart. And you just sense the presence of God. I mean, kind of just one of those moments of the saturation of the presence of God. You just know that God is visiting us in that moment. And we open our eyes, we look around, and there's about 15 Japanese tourists taking pictures. <laughs> they, they, they think it's part of the sideshows they have in Central Station there. So we laugh, we get up, and, and I take him over to Victory Outreach. And, and their, their method of getting free is three days, well, it's actually a week long. But the first three days are key, and it's absolute cold turkey. They don't give them any methadone, nothing to break it. It's just cold turkey, but they will pray over you for 24 hours. Somebody will be there praying for you. So I'm waiting over those three days to go back and visit Keith, and it's uh, and I go uh, and I go to check on him, and they say he took off. After day two, somebody had to go to the bathroom, basically quit praying, and and Keith just ran. He took off. So I was really burdened, and I I literally went all over Amsterdam, went under the bridges, went into the bars, went into the hell holes, saying I'm looking for Keith. I'm looking for Keith, and um, to try to get the word out on the street. Well, a couple days later, I'm speaking at a youth with a mission base there around where, where the red light district is. I'm speaking at an event, and I finished the event, and, I, and, I, and, I, and some guy comes up to me and said, hey, there's a dude outside named Keith, and he says he's going to kill you. And I said, what? And he said, the guy's just cussing like crazy. He's mad, man. He says he's going to kill you. Don't go out there. And I said, he's not going to kill me. That's Keith, you know? So I walk outside. And he comes up and he says, you blankety blank blank, he shoves me, you blankety blank, he's cussing me. And I said, settle down, dude, settle down. I said, what are you so ticked about? And, uh, and he said, I, I took off from that rehab and everything else. And he said, he said, I got to know what you did to me. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, I went to the ATM machine to rip off this lady. I kind of got my lines. She was from America. And I went to tell her my lines to get some money so I could go get some heroin. And I'm talking to her, and I can't speak English. He said, I talked to her. I go, and he said, every person I go to to try to rip off, I can't talk. And I just, it's like my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth and I can't get out English words. What did you do to me, man? I was reminded of a passage in Psalm 137, verse 6 that says, May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not praise you, Lord King of all. And I said, Keith, it's Jesus. And he said, then he just broke down in my arms. He said, if it's Jesus, then I need help. I can't deal with the cramps. I can't deal with it. I don't know how to get there. So I had a friend from Sweden named Lars, and I said, well, Keith, we're going we're gonna to pray for you. YWAM had a rule you couldn't bring them in the building. And so out there in um, uh, just kind of one of the canals there, we're praying for Keith. It was about that time it was about 11 o'clock at night, and we prayed for him for a couple hours. In the middle of the praying for him, after a couple hours, there's this Famous kind of satanic, not kind of, satanic church. Literally the whole deal with a satanic priest that runs it in, in the red light district. And that guy comes walking by. And we're praying for Keith and he's mocking us and cursing us. And we're like, that's creepy, man. And so we break that in Jesus' name. We keep praying for Keith and, and we're just praying over and over again. We don't know what to pray. We're quoting scriptures and just doing what we can. After about two and a half hours, Keith grabs me by the shirt and he looks me in the eyes and he starts screaming, 
He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. And my spontaneous response back was, he loves me. He loves me. And Lars, you know, my Swedish friend, he loves me. He loves me. Yeah, and we are in the middle of the street just screaming, he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. That moment where Jesus was no longer just a savior, but he was the one who loves Keith. I don't have time to tell the rest of the story, but over the next few months, Keith not only would get set free and get healed, but he was on stages all over Europe telling his story and testimony as thousands of people would come to Christ. Today he's on a radio, he runs a TV program um, in the Netherlands, over a million people listen to where he talks about AIDS and, and how to deal with the issue of AIDS and, and addictions. That was 20 years ago. But what was the turning point? It wasn't just a prayer. It wasn't just actually being touched by God in his salvation. It was that revelation that he loves me. He loves me. If there's anything that we need this morning, it's that revelation that he loves me. And what I want to ask is if our band will come up here and they're going to, they're just going to lead us in worship. And what I want us to do is want a couple of things. We're going to have prayer teams up here. If you feel like there's a barrier in your life from knowing the love of God, or you say, I have prayed that prayer and I can't get the breakthrough, many times somebody praying for you kind of breaks the yoke, or they may have a word from God that's a blockage. You know one of the words in, in Keith's life that ultimately started the river of life flowing in him was bitterness and unforgiveness towards his father. The reason he wasn't getting free from the drugs, the reason he couldn't get that power of God to set him free was because he was harboring bitterness. And when he got rid of the bitterness, the dam broke and the river flowed. Maybe you just say, I want to know Jesus like that, but I feel like I'm on the outside looking in. Then today is the day to break that blockage and to let the river flow. And many times that's through praying for one another. But what I want to make sure here in our next few moments because we're not going to take long, is that you cry out to Jesus, either there in your seat saying, I am yours, or coming up for prayer and saying, pray for me. I want that bondage to break. Whatever it is, help me get into the river of life that I was created for. But whatever you do in this moment, don't just blip out in your mind. You don't want to miss Jesus, because actually more important than the songs we've sung or the word I just preached is your response right now. It's our response to the word of God. It changes us, not just hearing it. So let's all stand together. I'm going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to us. And as he does, you respond either there personally. Could our prayer folks, leaders, please come to the front and be available. They'll be facing outward. You can come up if you need prayer, if you feel like there's a blockage. But I'm going to call out and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus. Spirit of the living God, I pray would you come and reveal Jesus to us in that unique way that we need to hear his voice today. 
We need to know we're loved. We need to know we're forgiven. We need to know that there's power and hope. We need to know that there's a river of delight found in Jesus. I pray the prayer of Paul, a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of you. I pray that the eyes of our heart will be enlightened, that we may have the hope of your calling, the glorious riches of your inheritance in the saints, and the surpassing greatness of your power towards us who believe. We pray, spirit of wisdom and of revelation, yes, be released this morning yes, as we worship Jesus. Now come to the throne, worship Jesus together as they lead us in singing, whatever your needs are, come and let somebody pray for you, agree with you that we might see him.